Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. It's good to be back with you on this Lord's Day. I'm going to begin reading in verse 27 and continue through verse 18 of chapter 2. Listen carefully. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict, which you saw and now hear to be mine. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility, Count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Almighty God and Father, we pray that your spirit would work by and with your word in these moments, that we might know you better and love you more dearly. 
we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It had snowed heavily the night before. Um, I had gone outside early to warm up the car, to clean off the windscreen, to dig out the wheels so that I could take my son David to school. Um, and I was kind of preoccupied that morning, as I often am. I was thinking about a sermon that I had to give that following Sunday. So it wasn't until we got to the circle down by the flagpole at the front door to the school, and I turned to say to him, David, have a great day, that I realized he wasn't there. <laughs> I had left without my son. David went up and said, Mom, he's gone. Um, now, in my defense, it was only a mile. But sometimes we forget the most important things about who we are and what we're called to do. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that we are not our own. We belong in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, I want us to re be reminded this morning by the Apostle Paul that because that is true, we belong to Christ. We're united with him through his Spirit that we must walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And Paul is going to show us what that looks like. First of all, to stand together in unity and to serve one another in humility. And then finally, to shine like stars in both holiness and joy. First of all, we're called to stand together in unity. Verse 27 Paul begins with this very significant word, only. Uh, that's a clue that we're supposed to wake up, pay attention. If we've been asleep to this point in Paul's letter, which actually would be impossible. I mean, Paul has just finished talking about the fact that for him to live is Jesus and to die is Jesus. That his whole life is directed towards the proclamation of the gospel. And Paul says... Don't forget, only let your manner of life. Uh, J.B. Phillips says, let your everyday life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you stand firm in one spirit. And here, I think it's important to realize that Moise Silva has it right. Uh, this isn't a spirit of camaraderie. This is not just um, spirit standing in for our heart and mind. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So we stand firm, united to Christ by his Holy Spirit. And in that context, we're to have one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by our opponents. Paul uh, is going to talk to them later on in chapter 3 about two sets of opponents. One are the Judaizers. They want to have faith in Jesus plus keeping the Jewish law. And then later on at the end of chapter 3, he'll speak of a group of so-called believers, brothers in Christ, who actually live for their visceral appetites. And he's going to say of both groups, steer clear. But these groups were seeking to undermine the faith of this community of believers in Philippi. And so they faced very real, tangible opponents. But of course, they faced 
the enemy of our souls as well, the prince of the power of the air and his legions. We're to stand firm in the face of opposition. Paul will even say to endure suffering. And notice that this suffering is not incidental. It's not even accidental. It is within the compass of the providence of God. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And Alec uh, Moitier will say, this doesn't just apply to suffering for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Paul in Romans 5 will remind us that we rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. Why? Well, because suffering produces perseverance, the ability to abide under pressure. And pressure produces, or rather, Perseverance produces character, that badge of tested approvedness, that we have been found faithful in trusting the Lord in the face of great difficulty. And character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And Paul says, wherever the opposition comes from, whether it is from individuals that are trying to undermine the ministry of the church, whether it is the enemy and his minions that are abroad in the world, wherever it is, stand firm. You're in one spirit. Have one mind. Strive side by side for the gospel. Listen, beloved, when the attack comes on Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church, I don't think the enemy is going to go after your orthodoxy. You have a great session. You know your scriptures. You know your doctrine. Where he's going to attack will be at the heart of the matter, your unity in Christ. Something happens when a senior pastor who has been with a congregation for 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 years leaves, that all of a sudden there can be a jockeying for power and a scramble for influence, don't let that be true of you. Stand together. You're united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. You have one heart, one mind, one mission to bear witness to Christ, to hold forth the word of life in this community. And reaching out from Flintstone literally to the ends of the earth. And Paul says, if you'll do that, if you'll hold each other when you struggle, if you'll hold each other when there is suffering, if you will rejoice with one another when there's victory, then you cannot fail. You'll stand together in unity. I have to admit that I still have nightmares about junior high. Uh, seventh and eighth grade were not good times for me. Uh, there was a kid in my physical education class who had been shaving since the fourth grade. Uh, he weighed 220 pounds, and he made it his mission in life to make the rest of us miserable. He would extort lunch money from every guy in phys ed. And when he would come to me just on general principles, because even then I knew I was called to the bar as an attorney, I would refuse. And, uh, well, he would say to me, his name was Greg, Greg would say, well, it's okay, uh, but I may kill you tomorrow. And so for all of seventh and most of eighth grade, I lived with the expectation that the next day might be my last on this earth. And then I found out 
he professed to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And I, so I went up to him and I put my arm around him and said, Greg, brother, this is not how Christian brothers treat each other. And he said, you know, you're right. So he stopped hassling me, but kept extorting money from the others. <laughs> in Reformed theology, we call that progressive sanctification. <laughs> but here's the point. Ninth grade was different. Uh, the captain of the football team, who was also the captain of the wrestling team, and I was on the wrestling team, Steve became my best friend, right? And he let it be known, you mess with my friends, you mess with me. And he had been shaving since the third grade and weighed 250 pounds, and nobody messed with him. And he and I would walk down the hallways with our letter sweaters on, and the bad guys would scatter into the darkness like vermin. Now, here's the point. Poor analogy, maybe. You and I have one who sticks closer than a brother, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Will the attacks come? You bet. When they come, will we stand? Absolutely. Because we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a sign of our union and our salvation in Christ, that we stand together, striving for one faith. But Paul's not done. He's actually just getting started. We're to serve one another in humility. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... In other words, if you have experienced the mercy and grace of God in Jesus Christ, Paul says, well, then make my joy complete. If you've been well loved, then love your brothers and sisters well. If you've been forgiven, forgive your brothers and sisters. He puts it this way, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourself. That's what it looks like to have the same mind and the same love and to be in full accord is for us to take after the example of our Savior. You remember John 13. Um, John writes that this Kairos moment had come, this moment of opportunity. Jesus knows that he's getting ready to go to the Father, and now he's going to show his disciples the full extent of his love. And what he does is he gets up, takes off his sport coat, wraps a towel around his waist, and washes their stinky, smelly, dirty feet. And says, as I have done for you, now you do for one another. You and I are to break away from what Robert Bella has called this expressive individualism, which makes the fulfillment of our identity and the validation of our self-worth our chief end. Listen, our chief end is clear, to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. And where we enjoy him in this life is in the presence of his body, the church. And so we take the attitude of a servant leader, as your session and your deacons have done. And we serve the Lord Jesus by serving one another. It's only reasonable, Paul says. Look at what Jesus has done. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in the, born in the likeness of men. Jesus, who was God from all eternity, became human flesh for us. The Shorter Catechism talks about one God in two persons. He is fully human. He is fully divine. He has experienced all that we have experienced yet without sin. He has, by his active obedience to the law, fulfilled all righteousness, which is imputed to us and received by faith. And by his passive obedience, Paul will now go on to say that he has borne the curse of the law on our behalf. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Listen, it hasn't happened yet, but the day is coming when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king. Glory, we get to do it now. We get to know the king in a personal intimate way through the work and witness of his Holy Spirit that indwells us through our experience of the Spirit of Christ in the body that he has called us to your brothers and sisters in the Lord and Paul says if this is true if you have been well loved then love well your brothers and sisters if you've been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, then forgive your brothers and sisters. If he is the servant king, then ask yourself each day, how can I serve rather than be served? Right? For the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Henry Nouwen um, was a professor at Yale and Harvard. Uh, Dan Doriani took a class with him. Um, from Covenant Seminary, and he said, you know, this guy was the real deal. He was a Roman Catholic priest at the time. He's now a Presbyterian because he's with the Lord. But, um, <laughs> but in his book, in his book, um, In the Name of Jesus, which all of our student leaders at Covenant College have to read, um, Nowen writes this. He, he says, you know, when I went away from Harvard and Yale and I went to Dayspring to work as an aide, uh, to mentally handicapped men, they didn't know about my books. They didn't read much. Uh, they had never been to university, so they didn't care about my academic connections. He said what they cared about was, did I show up for dinner? Uh, was I there when they were hurting? Did I share life with them and serve them with the hands of Christ? And now in writes, this experience forced me to rediscover my true identity. These broken, wounded, and completely unpretentious men forced me to let go of my relevant self, the self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things, and forced me to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable, open to receive and give love regardless of any accomplishments. Then now one says, I'm convinced that the Christian leader of today and tomorrow is called to be completely irrelevant with nothing to offer but his or her own unadorned 
self. We have nothing to share but Jesus. We have no other hope than Jesus. But with the Spirit of Christ indwelling us, we have the power of the Spirit to serve one another. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together says, you better be ready, be prepared to have your schedule interrupted by God. You and I have daytimers, calendars, buzzers going off on our cell phones. Sometimes God is going to break through what you and I have planned for the day so that we can be his hands and feet in the world around us. We stand together in unity. We serve one another in humility. And finally, Paul says, we shine like stars in holiness and joy. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And if that's true, Paul says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and pure children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation where you shine like stars as you hold forth the word of life. Paul begins to talk not here about our salvation. When he says work out your salvation, he's actually talking about what we in uh, the Presbyterian Church in America would refer to as sanctification, right? We're effectually called by the Spirit our hearts are born again. We're given a new heart so that hearing the gospel, we respond in repentance unto life and faith in Christ. We are justified, and then we are, John Murray says, definitively sanctified. God looks at us and says, you are holy before me. And yet there is a progressive aspect where day by day, we are being made into the likeness of Christ by the Spirit. The Shorter Catechism will say, it's all grace. It's a free act of grace, whereby the Spirit renews uh, the man so that we are able to die more and more to sin and to live more and more to righteousness. John Murray will say that God works, but we work too. And so Paul says, Work out your salvation with a proper sense, J.B. Phillips will put it, of the awe and responsibility set before you. Beloved, it matters how we walk. People are watching. They see how we treat our family. They see how we treat others. They, they recognize whether or not our hearts are soft and called to service are whether we are lording it over those around us. And Paul says, you and I will give account one day, live as if that's true, but do it in confidence because your holiness is not a question. It's God who works in and through you to bring about his good purpose. And then Paul does something I wish he hadn't done. If he had kept it at that level, I would have been fine. I don't mind talking about progressive sanctification in general abstract terms. I can do that by the hour. But he says, here's how you show it. Stop 
grumbling. Stop complaining. You want to show that Jesus lives in you. Uh, You want to demonstrate to the world that he has risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He is sitting on the throne and he's coming back again. It's really simple. Just stop it. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Francis Schaeffer said that when we grumble and complain, we're actually grumbling and complaining against God. If you want a test of where you are spiritually at any given moment, ask yourself whether you love God enough to be content, Schaefer says in his book, True Spirituality. Are we content with the work of the Lord in our lives? Can we trust him? Can we stop grumbling, stop complaining? Uh, there is an intertextual allusion here, of course, to the wilderness Um, Paul is thinking of that first generation of grumble bunnies that perished in the desert and didn't see the promised land. But we're the new generation of promise. We are the people of the new covenant that we'll celebrate in just a few moments as we come to the Lord's table. And we're called to live differently because of the power of the Spirit. Is it difficult? No, it's not difficult. It's impossible Um, Jack Miller, who founded World Harvest Mission, now known as Surge, used to have a a task he would give to his mission candidates. He would tell them to go one week without complaining about anything, without running anybody else down, without grumbling about anything that happened. Most people couldn't make it through the first hour. No one made it through the first day. Nothing will drive us to the cross and to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, than to follow Paul's admonition here to stop grumbling, stop complaining. Because we need his grace and the power of his spirit to do it. Listen, uh, nothing will tear this church apart like a complaining spirit or a grumbling heart. God has given you leadership during this interim time. You have elders, you have deacons, Uh, You've even got a few teaching elders scattered through um, the congregation that can fill in at various times. You have been given God's servants, and the author of Hebrews 13, 17 says, so make their work a joy, not a burden. Obey them cheerfully. Submit to them gladly. Why? Because God has called us to stand together in unity And he has charged us to serve one another in humility. And we are to shine like stars. You can't help it. My granddaughter, Isla, is going to be two in about another month. And I'll tell you, when she walks into the room, it lights up. She's an extrovert. That's part of it. But part of it is that she just takes an unashamed joy in everything around her. She is just so excited to be alive, so excited to be learning, so excited to have the opportunity to be with people that love her and that she loves. What happens to us that when we grow up, we lose that joy, that sense of wonder, that sense of awe? Paul says, don't lose it. In the power of the Spirit, claim it again. Be the people of God. Hold forth the word of life and shine. For the glory of God. Pray with me. Father God, 
we recognize that we can't do any of this in our own strength. So we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, for the sake of your crucified, risen, and ascended son, do a work in us that would put the world on notice that Jesus is king. We pray this in his name. Amen.